All right. Well, if you're just joining us today, we've been in a message series that's looking at the book of Acts. Uh, and so the book of Acts tells the, the exciting story of the formation of the early church, of how God took this unlikely group of people and he bound them together with a common faith in Jesus through the Spirit of God. And our hope as we look at these stories, as we read about them, is that we might draw inspiration and wisdom as we seek to be a church that unites diverse people. And so last Sunday, we saw how God's Spirit took a man named Philip and drew him into the desert in order to share the love of God with one single person, an Ethiopian eunuch. And this unlikely pairing, it serves as this, you know, very incredible example of the lengths to which God will go to share his love with one single person. And today, we're going to get a chance to look at another unlikely person whose life is turned upside down in a good way by God's grace and by God's love. So we're going to read from Acts chapter 9 today. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, right, this is the way of Jesus, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. So Luke, the writer of Acts, paints a really vivid picture of this man named Saul. But to fully appreciate who this guy is, we need to start not here, but with the first time that uh, Luke mentions Saul. And that comes at the end of Acts chapter 7. Acts 7 records, oh, interesting, see, okay, (laughs) We'll, we'll save that for later, right? So, Acts 7 records um, the first Christian who is killed, Stephen, who becomes the first martyr. And Stephen, oh, this is, I think this thing's going crazy. All right, so we're going to flip back to the slide, right? So Stephen is killed, he's martyred, um, and overseeing his bloody death, because he's actually stoned to death, and overseeing this bloody spectacle of the first martyr is Saul. And what the text says is that uh, Saul becomes the catalyst for a rise of intense persecution in the early church. So if you look at uh, chapter 8, verse 3, it says that Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. I think most of us, It's not working. All right, can we go to the next one? That'd be great. Most of us probably know people in our lives who self-identify as agnostic, atheist. Uh, So agnostic, and an agnostic might say that, you know, I'm not really sure if there is a God. Um, An atheist has come to the conclusion that there is no God. Uh, In your journey of faith, some of you might have identified uh, with some of these labels at one point. But Paul, Saul, is neither of these. He is in his own category. He is adversarial. He is antagonistic. He is anti-Christian. And so in my experience, uh, this isn't very common posture to have. 
You know, most people I encounter these days, if they're not religious, um, they don't mind if you are, just so long as you're not trying to, like, shove your beliefs down their throat, right? It's, it's kind of like, well, you know, whatever floats your boat, that, that's cool. Uh, and pastors, like, you know, we often joke about how if someone asks us, like, in a casual conversation, oh, what do you do? And we tell them we're a pastor, it's like an instant conversation killer, <laughs> It's just silence. It's like, okay, I'm going to go get a drink now. And occasionally, maybe from time to time, I'll have someone, when I say that, and I'm expecting them just to leave, they'll say, oh, interesting. You know, like, why'd, why'd you do that job, right? And they're, they're curious to know about, about that. Um, but I've, I've never, ever had anyone attack me because I'm a pastor. But Saul had no desire for this sort of tolerance He wasn't okay with people believing in Jesus. And in fact, he was out to destroy this fledgling movement. He wanted to put them in prison, or better yet, kill them. But it wasn't because Saul didn't believe in God. Quite the contrary. Saul was devoutly religious. He was a devout Jew. He was a Pharisee, which meant that he was an expert in the entire Old Testament. Uh, He could probably recite whole chapters of the Old Testament verbatim by memory, right? He was uh, was extremely devoted and fervent about his faith. And Saul saw Jesus as a perversion to his cherished beliefs. He saw those who followed the way as spreading lies, heresy, and blasphemy. And so Acts 9 describes him as breathing out these murderous threats. You know, it makes me wonder what he was saying, like, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get them. They're goners, right? He's just, he's out to wipe them out. Uh, and so Saul is so zealous in his hatred that he actually asked for permission from the chief priest to go to Damascus. So he's in Jerusalem. He's like, hey, let me go to another city, another place, to go find more of those Christians to put them into prison. And so Saul was like the first bounty hunter, all right? Yeah, uh, he's like a first century boundary, right? So why am I making this point? Because Saul was the most unlikely person to put their faith in Jesus. Saul was the most unlikely person to put their faith in Jesus. Do you know anyone like that in your life? Were you like that? Are you like that? And so what we're going to see is that in God's kingdom, no one, no matter how unlikely, is beyond the reach of God's grace. Okay? No one. No one, no matter how unlikely, is beyond the reach of God's grace. So in verse 3, as Saul neared Damascus on his journey, can we go to the next one? Oh, it works now? All right. So as he neared Damascus on his journey, journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound but did not see anyone. 
Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus, and for three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. Saul is literally on his way to Damascus to arrest Christians when he himself is arrested by the presence of God. Literally stopped dead in his tracks. There's a blinding light and an audible voice, and God surely gets Saul's attention in a miraculous fashion. And so for three days, he's blind, he's not able to eat or drink. What do you imagine was going through Saul's mind during these three critical days? What was going through his heart? What was going through his soul? Meanwhile, in Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias, that's you, come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. I kind of think it's funny how Ananias responds. You know, he's like, you know, I know you're God and all, and you like kind of know everything. But just in case it slipped your attention, Saul is trying to kill us, right? He's trying to destroy your church. Are you sure you want me to heal him? Uh, And it kind of reminds me a little bit of how Moses in Exodus banters back and forth with God. And just as a little side, I hope this encourages us to realize that as we pray and as we relate to God, it is okay to push back. It is okay to wrestle and question and express our doubts. And God can handle that. That is part of developing a real living relationship with God. But the Lord said to Ananias, go. This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. And so maybe Ananias is like, okay, in that case, you know, all right. So then verse 17, then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, brother Saul, the Lord, Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. He got up and was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. Here at Access, we see faith as a journey. It's a process rather than a one-time prayer. In fact, it's many prayers spoken in doubt, and faith throughout a course of a lifetime. It's many yeses, it's many noes, it's one step forward, two steps back. When a person first says yes to Jesus, it's not like that yes comes out of nowhere. That step of faith is usually the product of many steps of faith, many little yeses. Maybe at first it's trusting a Christian and saying, hey, maybe you guys aren't all crazy and hypocritical like I have been led to believe. Or maybe it's, and then that, that trust in a Christian leads to like, maybe I'll step foot in a church where I was burned, uh, you know, where I, when I, when I've, when I, which I don't have trust of. But then as you hear it, and you're like, well, maybe, maybe there is 
of God. And then there's a step of faith that involves, well, maybe, maybe this Jesus is God. And maybe I'm willing to place my trust in this Jesus. Uh, there's a, a training tool that I found really helpful that helps us picture some of the thresholds of conversion. If threshold is really a process and a journey, uh, then often people go through these different thresholds on their way to placing faith in Jesus. And this is really just the beginning of it because once you say yes to Jesus, it's, a really, it's, it's, a, it's an ongoing journey. But these are some helpful thresholds to think about. People sometimes move from you know, distrust to trusting a Christian. And they go from complacency to becoming curious. They go from closed to change to becoming open to change. They go from kind of meandering uh, to really seeking after God. And then they go from death to life. And often this journey through these thresholds will take years and many, many conversations But Saul just leapfrogs all of these steps in one critical moment. And to be honest, his conversion isn't typical or normal. But then again, neither was Saul. But underlying his dramatic conversion is something that I think is characteristic of everyone's spiritual background and spiritual state. All of us begin in some state of blindness. We aren't able to see God, at least to see him fully. And we aren't able to see ourselves fully or clearly. And so sometimes we might get mixed up our false self and true self and think our false self is who we truly are. Or we're not really sure who our true self is. And we're not really sure who this God is. Does he hate me? Does he judge me? Does he love me? Is he forgiving? Who is God? We have varying degrees of blindness to who God is and to our true state. And the irony of this story and the irony of all this is that God blinds Saul in order to help him see. God used that physical blindness to get his attention. And I think that in those three days of darkness, Saul was able to confront his own darkness and blindness. You see, God uses all sorts of things to get our attention, to wake us up, to help us to see. It could be a supernatural experience like this, or it could be something really every day. But it jars us from our spiritual stupor, and it helps us to see life, our existence, and God in a new way. A relationship that's lost or injured an opportunity we put our hope in that becomes closed, a desire or dream that we have that ends up breaking and falling apart. And in the resultant pain and fallout, somehow we're able to gain a moment of clarity. We're able to begin to see things as they truly are. We begin to see ourselves as we truly are, perhaps not as the self-sufficient, in-control, righteous, and good people that we like to imagine ourselves to be, but as broken sinners, wounded souls, whose greatest need is not more money or success or relationships, but to know the grace of God. And if God's grace could reach into Saul's life, how much more so 
could his grace reach into ours? But the blindness doesn't just extend to Saul. It extends to Ananias and the other apostles as well. Did you catch, well, we'll see how this. Well, they also have a hard time seeing God's activity. Saul couldn't see, but neither could the apostles. They couldn't see that God was at work in Saul's life, even though it was unmistakable. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. And at once, he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. And all those who heard him were astonished and asked, Isn't he the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on this name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. And then when he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he really was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. So Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace and was strengthened. Living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit, it increased in numbers. There are times in our lives when we're really surprised by something, and it's like a really so, like a pleasant thing. It leads to excitement. So like you open the door and there's a surprise party. Oh my gosh, I can't believe you're all here. Like this is great, right? But there are other times when our surprise actually leads to disbelief and skepticism because the thing that happens doesn't fit into our expectation. It's so out there. It doesn't fit into our paradigms. Uh, so, you know, uh, many of y'all know that uh, we have four boys. We have a 13-year-old, a 10-year-old, and then we have twin boys who are three. And so when we were like, Grace and I were contemplating, like, do we want to have a third? And then we we're like, okay, let's, let's maybe be open to having a third. And then we ended up with twin boys, all right? So what do you think my reaction was when I found the news? All right, what? Yeah, yeah. well, actually, so when the nurse, uh, it was funny, like I walked into the room and she was an African-American woman. She's like, are you the dad? And I was like, yeah. And she's like, sit down. And I was like, sit down. Like, and I sat down and she's like, you're having twins. I was like, what? No way. Like, I was just, like, mind blown. Like, I couldn't believe it. And she showed me the ultrasound, and I saw the two hearting beats, uh, two beating hearts, right? And I was like, oh, dang, this is happening, right? This is really happening. So, uh, yeah, that was, I was surprised. A little bit disbelieving, but, you know, eventually I, you know, I was like, man, this is, this is crazy, but this is, this is awesome. I don't know if I said that at the time, but I think it's awesome now. It's totally awesome, right? So, like, yeah, if, you were to ask these uh, apostles, like, who are, who are like the least likely people that you know to place their faith in the way, in Jesus? I think on everyone's top five would have been Saul. He probably would have been top two. They're like, Saul become a Christian? No way. He's out to kill us. This guy's crazy. And I was thinking about this. Don't we do this all the time? Don't we make judgments all the time on those around us? Oh, that person will never change. They're going to be like that forever. They're stuck. They're closed. 
And this story, I think it challenges us to never write anyone off. It's a vivid reminder that no one, no one, no matter how unlikely, is beyond the reach of God's grace. Not you, not me, not our atheist uncle, you know, not our firmly agnostic coworker, not our Jewish boss, not our Muslim neighbor. Saul was literally walking on his way to Damascus to pursue Christians when he encountered the risen Lord. And so we need to remember that all of us, all of us are just one step away. We are literally one step away, one moment away from God intervening in our lives and changing our trajectory forever. Right? We are one step away, all of us, from God intervening and transforming our lives with God's grace. And thankfully, while most of the other apostles were skeptical and distrusting of Saul, there was one person who was able to see clearly in this situation, and that was Barnabas. Barnabas saw that Saul was the real deal. And so he was willing to put his own reputation on the line and vouch for Saul. And as a result of that advocacy, the other apostles eventually came around and said, all right, Saul, hey, you're one of us. And they gave him the, the, they empowered him to preach the gospel. And thank God for that. Because Saul would eventually become the person we all now know as the Apostle Paul. Arguably one of the greatest and most influential disciples of Jesus in the Christian movement. The Apostle Paul would pen most of the letters in the New Testament that we read and would be the one who fulfilled the vision of bringing the gospel to the Gentiles. You and I are here today because of the Apostle Paul's life. And isn't it just crazy that the least likely person to follow Jesus became one of his most ardent, passionate, and influential disciples? So I'd like to draw out two responses for us as we consider this story. One as it relates to the vision that we have of being a church that unites diverse people, and another implication for us just personally. Um, so several weeks ago, you know, we looked at how becoming a church that unites diverse people, realizing the vis- this vision, will necessitate that we become people who regularly let unexpected people into our lives. Right? I don't know if you remember that. This story adds another layer to that practice. A church that unites diverse people is also a church that learns, that is able to recognize the Spirit's work in unlikely people and unlikely places. We learn to see, man, God is at work in you. And I would not have expected it. It's totally unlikely. And the unlikely people that I'm referring to are the people whom we think are least like us. And so if you're liberal politically, it might be people who are conservative. And if you're conservative, it might be people who are liberal. 
if you're a Yankee fan, it might be Astros fans. You know, thinking about my upbringing in Ohio, I was, you know, as a kid, if it was like as an Asian kid growing up in Cleveland, Ohio, the least unlike me were the Italian kids who all play football, right? That was my most unlikely group. Uh, I'm so thankful for what Cindy shared this morning. Maybe if it's us as Americans, the unlikely people are the refugees coming from countries that we can't imagine what life is like there. And we think, what do we have in common? Who are the people or the groups of people with whom you are least likely to interact or be in relationship or community? And this story, I think it challenges us to see that God is at work there just as he is at work here. That he is just as much at work in them as he is in us, whoever them is and whoever us is. And that though we may look like unlikely friends, we are bound by common grace and a common spirit. The question is always, not is God at work, but will we have the eyes to see it? The second point I want to make is more personal. Uh, In this story, we see that no one, no one is beyond the reach of the grace of God. No one. It doesn't matter what you've done or who you are or where you're headed. No one is beyond the reach of God's grace because all of us are just one step away from God intervening and changing our trajectory. And so maybe you find yourself here this morning where you feel like you're stuck in your life. You wonder if God, if he's out there, can reach into your life. Maybe you feel frustrated with how things are going. And I just want to say, if God can reach Saul, he can reach anybody. He can reach you and he can reach me. There may be some of you here today whom God has been chasing down. Like, he's been trying to get your attention. And maybe life has thrown some curveballs that you're like, what is going on here? But it's allowed you to begin to see more clearly to see your own life more clearly and to see God more clearly. And then to this morning, as we're talking about this journey, uh, I imagine there might be some of you here today whom you have started a journey of trying to figure out what this whole God thing is. But maybe you haven't yet said yes to Jesus, to say, say yes. You know, I don't have to know everything, but I know enough. I know that you love me. I know that you sent Jesus to to die for my sins and you rose again to give me life and to give me a new way to live. And perhaps God is knocking on your heart and this morning you're ready to say one of many yeses to Jesus. And so if you find yourself in that boat this morning, I want to give you an opportunity to say a simple prayer of faith, which isn't the be-all and end-all of prayers. It's just one of many prayers. All of us will need to pray on a regular basis. And the prayer is just something simple. There's no, nothing magical about these words, but just simply, God, I thank you for seeing me today. And I acknowledge that I am lost without you. I believe you sent your son, Jesus, to save me and rescue me. And so today, I'm placing my trust in you. Today, I want to start the journey of following you. And so if you find yourself in a boat, I want to give you a moment just to silently pray this to yourself. 
know, if you want to place your faith in Jesus, let's just take a moment together as a community. Uh, if the Lord is prompting you to say this, yeah, just between you and God, let these words be your own. If you said that prayer or you want to say that prayer but you're not sure still, please uh, come talk to Ted, myself, one of the staff, lead team members. We would love, or just tell a friend that you trust. Tell someone um, and let us, let someone else journey with you because all this is meant to be done in community. I have some questions here that I'd like to, this, for those of you who are in life groups or just even for your own personal reflection Uh, Here are just some questions that you can use just to continue the conversation, continue thinking about what God might be saying to us as a church and to you as an individual. And so as you reflect on this, I'll give you guys a couple minutes. I just want to ask the worship team to come up. um, And they're going to lead us in a time of response. Um, And so, yeah, let's just continue holding space for the Spirit of God to say what he wants to say to us about our church and about where we are at in our own spiritual journeys. Let me pray for us. Lord, I thank you for the story of Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch, how you would send one person to go show yourself to just one person. And then how this week, as we remember Saul's story, how you would how you went to so great lengths to reveal yourself to this guy who is so opposed to you. And God, if there are people in our community today who are wondering if you could reach into my life and our lives, God, I pray that you would whisper a gentle and yet a clear yes. Yes, I see you. Yes, I love you. Yes, I want you. Yes, you belong to me. I pray, God, that you would give us as a church eyes to see how you are at work in unlikely people and groups of people. And God, that you would forgive us when we've written certain cultures, ethnicities, races, or groups of people off because we think they're beyond the pale. Forgive us, God, for that. And I pray that you would help us to see how you are a God who can work in the most unlikely people and places. God, we pray this in your name. Amen. Will you please stand?